0: For anybody who hasn't been with us over the past number of weeks, we've been going through the letter of Paul to 1 Timothy, and this morning we really took a tour of Romans to fully understand what it is that Timothy has been tasked with by Paul through the Holy Spirit and completely from the Lord, which is to go into a church that has been established by Paul. And to correct the false teaching and to correct the false religion that's going on in that church. And for Timothy, as we said this morning, who is 35, who has been with with Paul over these past years. And he is left alone at this point as Paul heads on to Philippi. And he writes this letter to help correct the church and to lift up and strengthen Timothy. And we'll read together where we started this morning. Just to refresh and remind ourselves in verse 12 of chapter 1. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance: that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason: that in me, as the foremost Christ, or sorry, Jesus Christ, might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This morning we we worked our way through the beginning of that passage. As I said, we really took a lot of time to expound the gospel, to expound what it is to come to faith, what it is to be justified in the process of justification and how that justification is imputed to us through the righteousness of Christ by faith and only by faith. We looked at, as we keep looking at that term, monergistic regeneration. It is the Holy Spirit who has to act upon us in our state of deadness to sin, in our state of darkness, in our state of rebellion against the Holy God. It is the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, that comes and awakens us and transforms our heart and renews our mind and allows us to see the depraved state in which we live, to accept the truth of the gospel. So we understand, as Paul explained to us this morning through the book of Romans, that it is the act of the Holy Spirit in regeneration that produces faith. Regeneration precedes faith, and faith ultimately leads us into salvation. It is all of God. It is a gift of God. It is the grace of God, the mercy of God. It is not for anyone because of what they have done, but it is simply of God. Weren't here this morning, I very much recommend you go back and listen to that. But this evening, what I want to do is I want to start off at the end of verse 13 where we left off this morning. We'll read verse 13 to get the context. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. We looked at that this morning, how Paul's life before his conversion was that of the worst that you could possibly be. He was a murderer. He was an opponent of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He dragged people off and put them in bounds, imprisonment. As he says, But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. We'll look at that a little bit this evening. Whenever he says, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now what we need to say here is Paul is not justifying what he did. He's not saying that he should be above the saving grace of the Lord, because he didn't know what he was doing. He's not saying that this should take away his guilt. He is simply explaining why he did the things that he did. And for us, it's important to understand that because it is acting in ignorance that we can be forgiven. When we see that, if you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-three, and verse thirty-four. Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-three, verse thirty-four. We read here of the crucifixion of Christ, Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-three. In fact, we read from verse thirty-two: Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him, speaking of Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself there was also an inscription over him this is the king of the Jews for many of us we understand that depiction of the crucifixion of Christ well we understand those who wagged their heads at our saviour our lord Christ Jesus as he hung on the cross to pay for our very sins and for the sins of those who mocked him if they would repent and it's that term that Paul is reiterating here that Christ says from the cross Father forgive them for they know not what they do when they divided his garments when they mocked him when they put that inscription above his head that mocking of our true king by saying this is the king of the Jews it was a laughable statement they took his garments they offered him sour wine they mocked him, they ridiculed him they did not believe that he was the Christ. And Christ says here, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's the same thing that Paul says. I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul is telling Timothy here that if there is a difference between somebody who is acting in unbelief. Paul says, I did not profess to be a Christian whenever I persecuted the church. In fact, what I was doing was I thought I was doing the work of God. Those who crucified Christ did not believe that he was Christ, their Saviour, the one whom God had said he would send. And what Paul saying here is that there is a difference between those who profess Christ and act, not in unbelief or ignorance, but act in a teaching that is false even though they profess to be Christ. Those who persecute the church even though they confess to be Christ. Paul is saying that there's a difference, Timothy, between the leaders that may be in that church in Ephesus. If they confess to be a Christ follower, if they confess to be a true believer and a follower of the way, then they should act, not in ignorance of unbelief, but they should act in the truth of the word. I am an example of that, Timothy. I was able to be shown grace, to be shown mercy, because I had not understood or received the fullness of Of the gospel. The Hebrews writer explains it even better. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the dead drawing near. Verse 26 says, For, we, for if we go on sinning deliberately, there is a difference here between somebody who is ignorant to their sin, somebody who does not understand what they are doing, What he said here, Timothy, if the false teachers truly do not understand what they're saying is wrong, the same way that I didn't understand because of my zealousness for Judaism, I did not understand the gospel and the the church and the fullness of Christ. If they are truly ignorant to it, Timothy, whenever you give them the truth, they will repent, they will turn, and they will seek the mercy and the grace of the Lord like I did doesn't matter how hardened they are as we looked at this morning how far gone you may think that they are if they do not understand that what they are teaching is wrong as Paul or he went into those homes and dragged out men women and children and bound them and beat them and stoned them and in some cases killed them he did it all because he was ignorant to what the gospel and ignorant to the fact that he was actually persecuting Christ. Therefore, as the Hebrew writer says, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, if there are those in the church, Timothy, who have received truth, if they understand what the gospel is, if they understand that what they're doing is wrong, he's saying show them grace, show them mercy, understand that their false teaching might actually be to them the right teaching. They just need to be educated, they need to be shown they need to be taught, they need you Timothy to take them under your wing like I did you and if they truly are authentic, born again believers they will turn they will repent, but if they do not then they are what this writer of Hebrews says for if they, or in this case we, go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins If they continue in their act, if they continue in unrepentance, even though you have shown them the error of their ways, shown them the truth, then there is no salvation for them, Timothy. They are what Jesus talks about when he talks about the parable of the seeds. They may be a seed that have fallen into rocky ground or thorny ground, but they are not the true, authentic believer. For if they were, they would repent. When they realize they've come against truth. Verse 27 says, But a fearful expectation, oh, sorry, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. They're lost. They may profess godliness. They may profess that they are a Christian. They may profess that they all have been called and elected and chosen by God. They may even profess to be in the Uh, position of elder or leader of the church but if when they are shown through the Holy Spirit and through the correction of you Timothy and they do not turn like Paul did Paul had an encounter as we read this morning on the road to Damascus with Christ he realised that his zealousness for the law was persecuting Christ the Saviour and when he realised the truth he repented and he turned of his Judaism ways and he accepted the fullness of the gospel and the commission that Christ gave him and he went and gave the truth the saving faith of the gospel. The latter is what we just read. For those that are in the church today, just like in Ephesus, if they confess Christ, they hold fast to the gospel. The truth of it is when we go and we show them the error of their ways, they should accept it. They should long for it. Like a newborn baby, for milk, we should long for our truth of the word, like spiritual milk. We should desire to be corrected, desire to be always on the right path, in fear for us ever stepping outside of truth. This is important for Timothy to understand. It's important for us to understand in an age where to be a Christian is simply a cultural thing. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses how worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace they've come to the knowledge of truth they've come to the knowledge of what the gospel actually is when you go to correct these leaders, Timothy, know this. That if they're acting in complete ignorance and you give them truth and you give them the gospel, you will see the joy in their heart to turn like I did, Timothy. But if they have no desire to turn because they're loving the world and loving the acrimony that comes along with, with being someone who professes to know the law, to be to be seen to be a rabbi in public, then they're lost. They're damned. And they're not a true brother or sister. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled on the foot, the Son of God, and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But we call the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who threatened. And the Hebrews writer goes on. But What I want to read is verse 39, where he says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls but we are not of those who shrink back there's something for us to understand for the church, those of us who are true, authentic born again believers those of us who are truly called truly elected, truly enlightened who truly have the light of God dwelling within us, when we are corrected, we will accept because we are not of those who shrink back we are not of those who go back to their old ways. But we are those who have faith. We will and shall preserve our souls by God who strengthens us. Back to 1 Timothy. But acted eagerly in unbelief. Verse 14 of 1 Timothy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love. Even though I acted in unbelief, even though I was a wretched, vile persecutor of the church, know one thing, Timothy, that God's love overflowed for me. His grace overflowed for me. His faith overflowed for me. But more than that, the grace of the Lord that overflowed onto me led me into the gift of faith. It is an overflowing of grace. It's not, it is this word overflow. It's, it's Coming over the edges, it's this lavish grace, this undeserved, massive, huge ocean of grace that overflows for every sinner in which Paul knew he would need. For he cites that he is the chief among sinners, the foremost among sinners. Paul would want to go toe-to-toe with anybody of his day. No one is worse than me, murderer or anything else, because I persecuted the church. I persecuted and blasphemed the church. I was undeserved of grace. I, if anybody, deserved to be put to death. For I put to death those who clung to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, because I acted unknowingly, it was the grace of God that overflowed for me with faith and love. We looked at this morning, it is the grace of God that produces faith in our hearts and produces love. It's important for us to understand that in a day and age whenever that is twisted. People want to talk about the love of God but we don't want to talk about the love in which we are meant to have. True authentic love that comes from the Holy Spirit and is produced in us. It is a byproduct, it is a fruit he's going to tell Timothy of those who truly are born again. And to look at that a little bit me to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15 of first Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward the saints. Right through that scripture we can go to countless numbers of passages, particularly if you want to spend time in, in First and second John continually citing what an authentic born-again believer looks like. It is somebody who has been shown lavish, undeserved grace and also has been able to produce faith and love. It's two things that cited there. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. Same is true in chapter 317 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Chapter 6, verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Continually right throughout Ephesians and many others, just to use Ephesians for that one example considering the fact that this is the letter that was written to Timothy as he's working into the church in Ephesus and it's the very thing that Paul has already cited as we read in verse 5 of 1st Timothy the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The true attribute, as we looked last Sunday evening, when we understood what it meant to have a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith, is to understand the purity of our heart is exchanged for sinful desires. That's the true sign of the born again believer. A good conscience instead of a conscience laden with guilt and shame, and a sincere, faith rather than the hypocrisy that we see in false religion. Verse 14, chapter 1. When the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, the sea of sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. It has to be a question we ask ourselves. Why would God use Paul? Simply because he was a zealous, pharisaical man who knew the scripture? God could have picked somebody else. Was it because he was so zealous for persecution he would be zealous for the gospel? No. God could have produced that zealousness in, in anyone of Paul's day. Why would he choose Paul to write some 13 books of the New Testament? Why would he choose a murderer? Could he not have chosen somebody else? Was it simply because his mother was uh, Greek and his father was a Jew? Was it because of his heritage? The answer to all that is no. He could have used anybody. Paul's is reminding Timothy of the one purpose and the sole purpose of Paul's conversion was nothing of Paul. God needed nothing in Paul. God causes all things in Paul and in us. He does not need me. He can use somebody else to preach. He can use any other person to be an elder. He can use any of the laity to accomplish anything that he wishes. So why then, Paul? The answer is is because what Paul's statement is, is true. He is the foremost sinner. That's it. Paul was chosen because of his wretchedness. Paul was chosen because of his persecution of the church. It was his sin was the reason for his conversion. It was not merited, it was not deserved. It is God's sovereignty and everything that happened in Paul's life was all to show God's glory. It's the very reason for anybody who asks me, why does natural disasters happen? Why did the Las Vegas shooting happen? Give me an answer, explain to me an answer, and the simple answer is for God's glory. If you went to somebody who had just been ravished in the church by Paul... If you went to somebody whose husband had just been stoned or wife had been trailed away or children had been taken and you went to the elders or to the apostles and you said to them, why is this happening? The answer then is the same answer today, for God's glory. How can this pain be for God's glory? How can this hardship be for God's glory? For he is working all things for his glory. He is sovereign. He is in control. Nothing escapes him. Not even the zealousness of Paul who was persecuting the church. So how does Paul bring glory to God? He says, But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So that any one of us who thinks that we are too far gone, for any one of us who think that someone who we know is too much of a wretched, vile, putrid sinner for the pedophile, for the rapist, for the murderer, for the liar, for the fornicator, whatever sin you want to list, for the person who we think is so bad, for uh, the Aleph Hitlers of this world, whoever you want to pick, Gaddafi, whoever... They're nothing to Paul. Because he did all those things as well. So why Paul's conversion? So that Christ may be glorified. By saying if Christ's mercy is falling upon someone who is so undeserving. Someone who is so wretched. Someone who could actually persecute those who cling to the truth. And cling to the way who could stand by at the stoning of Stephen and give his approval of it. And he can save anybody, Timothy. I was saved for one purpose. Not for my intelligence, Timothy. Not because of my genealogy. Not because of any of those things. I was saved so God may be glorified by displaying his gracious, sovereign election that no one is deserving of, least of all the foremost sinner like me, And also, a Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. He bore with me, Timothy. He was patient with me, awaiting the specific time that he would use all my sins, all the wretched things I had ever done, to bring glory to himself by being just and the justifier. To those who were to believe in him for eternal life, That's the gospel. That's why Paul's going to finish now in verse 17 with a doxology of praise. No one is beyond redemption. Nobody is deserved of grace. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is wretched and everyone is lost. It is by the grace of God alone who gives us the actual faith to accept the gospel who gives us the ability, as Paul says in verse 12, I thank him who, thank him who has given me strength. He is the person who gives us electing grace. He is the person who gives us persevering grace. He is the person who gives us commissioning grace. He is the person who gives us the ability of grace and who gives us the grace of faith and the grace of love. All comes from an overflow of mercy from a God who should cast each and every one of us aside justly. Therefore, Timothy, when you come to change, to shape, to preach the gospel, know that truth. And for those who are going to be changed, for those who are teaching a false gospel, those who are teaching a false doctrine, and they come to the realisation that they were acting wrongly, then grace will abound for them too. So he finishes as we will finish tonight in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. There is no way to expound a doxology. It is simply what it is. It is ultimate praise to God, to the king, for he is king of every age. He is immortal and everlasting. He is invisible he is the only god so therefore let there be honor and let there be glory today and forever and forever and ever and he finishes with amen let it be so let it be said so. There's nothing else that we can finish with tonight that is the good news of the gospel apart from this truth that we cling to at this point in First Timothy. Nobody is above redemption. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody who is acting right now in complete ignorance and hostility to the gospel cannot be impacted by God who will intervene. So we pray, we lift up, we press in and we preach the word and we teach the word we correct one another. And we stir one another on. And we say to each other, we are not of them who shrink back. We are not of the ones who run after the false gospel so that they can obtain. We are not of those who want to have superficial worship. We are not of one of those who just wants the experience. We are of those who desire the only true God. His word. His gospel, for after all, the flowers will fade and the grass will wither, but the word of our God will last forever. Amen. That's pretty good. Heavenly Father, there is but one reason, Father, that we are here tonight as redeemed people to bring you glory, Father. Lord, we pray that we bring you glory. We thank you, Father, that everything that has happened has been part of your sovereign will. That you have folded even our wretched, defiled sins, Father, into the goodness of your hand moving through this world. Lord, may we be an example to all of those around us. That we who were sinful, dead, wretched people have been redeemed and bought that price which is the propitiation of our sins by our Saviour, Christ. We said this morning, Father, we are called to be a dolos, to be a slave of the Gospel and a slave to your Word. You are our Master. Our identity is in you. Father, we pray tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is able to strengthen and keep us. Lord, keep us as slaves for you. Let your word be our only authority. Let your word be the map in which we use to walk this life. Let us hear you speak to us through your word and your Holy Spirit. And let us cling to the truth that one day we will be fully and ultimately ransomed and redeemed from this body of flesh, given new bodies and a new earth and a new heaven. And we will be there with all the believers and followers of you throughout eternity with the angels, Lord, and Christ our Saviour. And you, O oh God, will illuminate the place in which we stand. There will be no more sun. For you will enlighten everything around us. Lord, we look forward to that day We press on. Help us not to shrink back to our old ways. Help us to cling fast and tightly to your word. And God, if we do anything now in ignorance and, and not realising that we are blaspheming and coming against your word, Lord, we repent and show us, we ask it through your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, may your hand move through this church. May you be admonished, exalted, lifted up. For you are God. You are holy, you are our Lord, you are our King, everlasting, immutable, invisible Father. Until you come, may we praise your name from our hearts in which you have given us faith and love and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name as we come now to close in worship. May we sing to you, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen you okay.